God provides us with what I'm going to call God goggles. And that is to see what He's accomplishing when we don't see where anything much is being accomplished. And to be able to see things from His perspective. To be able to see life from His perspective. And those goggles, oddly enough, are the challenges that we face in life. The challenges that you and I face in life. Those are the goggles that He provides us. And today we're going to look at what it means to face the challenges that God gives us. To face the challenges that God provides for us. Because those challenges are the goggles, so to speak, through which we are able to see and encounter the work of God in our midst. Now, we are continuing a series of messages from the life of Joshua as he assumes the leadership of the nation of Israel. Moses had encouraged him. Last week, we saw how he was challenged by God's promises in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, and how God said to him, this is how I'm going to be with you, and I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you, and this is how I'm going to use you, and you're going to take this nation into the land that I am seeking to give them. When we join the story today in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 10, they are on the east bank of the Jordan River, on the east bank of the Jordan River, and they're going to make their way across the east bank over to the west bank of the Jordan, and there they will line up for battle and begin the process of taking the land that God had promised them and that God was going to give them. It was a daunting challenge. Joshua's leadership was going to be challenged at every stage as they begin to move into this promised land. Now, we've talked about if Joshua was on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being that he really felt down, and 10, he was on top of the world. Where would he be today as he got ready to challenge Israel and move forward? Probably, I would imagine, around a 6. Sort of a mixture of excitement and, at the same time, a sense of being overwhelmed at what was in front of him. Where are you today in the challenges that you are facing in life? Joshua chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, these are some of the tribes of Israel, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you, shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as He has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession, and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do. 
And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Joshua faced several challenges here. And they are not altogether different from the challenges that you and I face in life. So this is the first challenge that he faced here. Joshua chapter 1 verses 10 through 18. He faced the challenge of different. The challenge of different. Now, what in the world do I mean by the challenge of different? Joshua's calling was different from what Moses' calling was. Joshua takes over the nation of Israel after Moses had led the nation for decades. Joshua is looking into probably the third generation of Israelites who had either experienced Moses' leadership or knew a lot about it. They had grown up listening to their grandparents talk about Moses, their parents talk about Moses. They had experienced somewhat of Moses' leadership. They heard all the great stories of how Moses had delivered them out of Egypt up to the cusp of the promised land how Moses had worked with them and helped them to understand God, how they had received the Ten Commandments and understood the law of God through Moses. Moses was a leader who was all about deliverance. Joshua was going to be a leader who was all about being military. He was a military leader, an entirely different type of leader than Moses. Joshua's job was to lead the nation of Israel, not as a people fleeing Egypt, but as an army on the march. Notice in the opening verses here, you see all the military terms that are used here. He passed through the midst of the camp and command, gave command to the people. He told them to prepare your provisions. In other words, get your three days of rations together. Pass over the Jordan. I want the men of valor to gather on the other side of the Jordan, a military strategy. We're going to take a portion of the men on the east side of the Jordan. They're going to join with the guys on the west side of the Jordan. And there they're going to line up as an army to move into battle. He was a different type of leader. His job was not deliverance. His job was to conquer. And God would give wisdom and power to him just as he gave wisdom and power to Moses But the task that was in front of Joshua was different from the task that was given to Moses. Joshua was a different type of leader. He had a different type of personality, a different set of skills. He had a different purpose for which God had called him and was using him. Now, what was Joshua's responsibility? Joshua's main responsibility as he took command and as he began to lead was to learn to feel comfortable in his own skin. He had been mentored and coached and prepared for this hour for decades by Moses. He had watched Moses lead. He had watched the way in which God used him. But his job was not to imitate Moses. 
He learned from Moses, but his job was to become comfortable in his own skin, to work out the calling of God in his own personality with his set of skills that God had given to him. Joshua had to be Joshua number one. He was not to be Moses number two. If he tried to be Moses number two, he was going to miss the unique calling that God had placed on him. He had to be Joshua number one. And when God works in our lives, the first challenge that often we face is the challenge of different. Don't waste your time and God's time by wishing you were somebody else. By looking at somebody else and saying, man, if I could just imitate them, I would have it made. If I could look like them, talk like them, act like them, dress like them, sing like them, talk like them, preach like them, work with kids like they do, or whatever it might be, if I could just imitate so-and-so, if I could just be like so-and-so, then God could take me and use me. So many of us talk ourselves out of the unique, specific calling that God has for us because we look at someone else and we say, I can't be like them, so God cannot take me and God cannot use me. This morning before we got started, about 10.20, our team here gathered together for a prayer time and a planning time for this service. And I looked around the room and I saw the guys that are working right now to make sure that you're getting the video fee that you're getting. I looked at Val Shera who would lead our singing and Regina who would do the playing and Genevieve who would sing with her. I looked at Jacob who works with our youth and is preparing for his specific calling that God's given to him and how he would share in this service. And I was thanking the Lord for the uniqueness of the gifts that they have and they bring to this hour. If they looked at, we looked at each other and we said, well, I can't run video the way Jerry and Kurt can, so therefore God cannot use me. Or one of them looked and said, I, I can't work with youth like Jacob can, so God cannot use me. Or I'm going to try to imitate, boy, wouldn't you love to hear me try to imitate Regina on the piano on Sunday morning? I could chase people out of this church so fast, it wouldn't even be funny as I mutilated song after song, etc., and just banged on that piano, etc., trying to imitate her. Maybe when you're out with the baby, that's what I'll do, is I'll just imitate you on the piano, okay? They'll be so happy to get you back uh, when that times. Well, she was just shaking her head and yelling no, uh, etc. But find the place that God's got for you and don't waste your time and the Lord's time saying, I can't be so-and-so, so God cannot take me and God cannot use me. God has a calling for your life and your calling is going to be different and is going to be unique and is going to be special Don't look down on yourself because your calling doesn't seem to be as impressive as somebody else's. You need to find your place and you need to walk in the place that God's got for you. Now, let me introduce a concept to you. See the journey of your life as someone has identified it as a redeemed gift. Let me say that again. See the journey of your life as a redeemed gift. And let me explain that. The journey of your life is a gift from God. Our lives are are gifts that God has given us. But many of us look at our lives and we see sections of the journey that at times were pretty brutal. That at times you got beat up or you got thrown under the bus or you got left behind. That you didn't measure up to whatever it is you were supposed to measure up to. 
In some cases, the journey of our life has been a story of us walking away from the Lord and mistakes that we have made and how we've bungled it and blown it. But God has the unique soul power to redeem the journey of our lives. Whether you did it to yourself or somebody did it to you or you worked in concert with them to do yourself in. God can take the gift of your life and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord Jesus, redeem your life so your life is not just a gift from God, it is a redeemed gift from God. And when your life becomes and acts and functions like a redeemed gift from God, then you will be able to walk in what He's got for you. You see, as long as I'm walking away from the calling God's God on me and what He has for my life because I can't be somebody else and imitate somebody else, I am walking away and I am missing what God has for me. But when I get comfortable in my own skin, when I see my journey as a redeemed gift from God, then I can walk in what He has for me. When I always had the joy of being the pastor at Red Lane Baptist Church, there was a senior adult couple that... We met right off the bat. Uh, one of the gentlemen in that church, his name was Fairfax Scrub. Godly, godly man. Loved Jesus. And when I met Fairfax, he was in his 70s. He was on the pastor search committee. And I remember he and the committee sitting in our living room when they were interviewing us. And I remember just sitting there watching Fairfax and listening to him and thinking, man, you know, if I take the pastor to this church, I really want to get to know this guy. I can tell that he is a seasoned saint. And that he's been walking with the Lord. Well, that when we accepted the call to come to uh, that church and we were looking at moving to that community and so forth, we went and we spent the night with Fairfax and his wife, L. Dean, and got to know them. And then throughout the entire time I was the pastor of that church, we spent a lot of time in their home. They had the gift of hospitality. They were gracious people. I cannot tell you how much they encouraged myself, my wife, my family, uh, we just thought the world of Fairfax and L. Dean, both of them now are in heaven. But they were just wonderful people. After I had left that church, Fairfax had a health scare, and they didn't know if he was going to make it or not. And L. Dean called me up, and she says, is there any way you can come to Powhatan and, and visit with us and, and have prayer with him? And he was in a nursing home at that time. And I went there that day and sat there in that nursing home with him, and Fairfax began to talk with me. And it was amazing what Fairfax said to me. At this time, he was in his 80s. He didn't have but about six months to live. And he said, you know, my mother raised a large family, and there were a whole bunch of us boys in the family. And he had grown up in Hurt, Virginia, not too terribly far from here in between Ala Vista and Gretna. Grew up on a tobacco farm there. And he said, my mom was a devoted Christian lady. And she wanted one of us to go into the ministry. One of her boys to be a pastor. And she said, he said, none of us went in to the pastorate. None of us went into full-time church-related work. And she always sort of regretted that none of her boys became a pastor. And Fairfax looked at me and he said, Pastor, he said, I've always wondered, you know, was I the one? Was I supposed to go into the pastorate? And I've always sort of felt bad about the fact that, that I didn't become a pastor. And I looked at Fairfax and I was sort of shocked by what he was saying. 
And I said, Fairfax, I need you to understand something. God gave you and L. Dean a calling to encourage pastors and Christian workers. You and your wife have been such a huge encouragement to me and Helen and our family. Folks like you keeps folks like me in the ministry. You had a unique calling. You have lived out that calling. And God may not have called you to be a pastor, but God used you to keep this pastor a pastor. God has used you to encourage folks. You see, if Fairfax had become a pastor, he would have missed the calling to be an encouragement to pastors. Find that unique place that God has for you. Find that different Get comfortable in your skin, the skin that God's put on you, the life's journey, the redeemed gift that He's given you, and live it out. The second difference that Joshua faced in this challenge was the difference of the day. The nation of Israel was on the east side of the Jordan River. The tribes that are cited here, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that was going to be their land. That was going to be their place. But Joshua is saying here, this day I need a portion of the men of valor to join your brothers on the west side of the Jordan so that you can work with them to take the land so that they will have a place to live in a home just like you guys have got a home on the east side of the Jordan. He says, get the men of valor or tell them to put their armor on. Take three days rations. Using that military language again. Now we're going to see in coming weeks as we explore Joshua's life, the challenges that they will face. But let me tell you what they did not face. In the coming chapters of the book of Joshua, you are never going to encounter a Red Sea. We will encounter a Jericho, but you will never encounter a Red Sea. If Joshua had taken those troops and crossed the Jordan and said, let's go looking for the Red Sea, because God gave us a tremendous miracle early on in the life of Moses, when he parted the Red Sea, so let's go find a Red Sea, they would never have found one. It was a different day. If the Red Sea even had been over there, and Joshua had stood in front of the Red Sea and said, God, open the Red Sea like you did for Moses, they'd have stood there, and nothing would have happened. He could have talked to the Red Sea and used the exact same words and body language that Moses had used, and nothing would have happened. Because God was not interested in a Red Sea. Now they did find a Jericho. It was a day for Jericho. It was not a day for a Red Sea. We have to face the challenge of the difference of the day. If we spend our time longing for the good old day, we will miss the new day. If we spend our time looking for a Red Sea and an experience like we had of God's work in the past, we will miss what He's got in the new day. The difference 
of the day is a challenge. Recognizing the new day that God has called us to. And moving in to that day. We're facing a new day. All this worship and Bible study that we're doing online is a new day. Next Sunday we're going to be out in the parking lot. Doing church in a way that we had never thought a year ago we would ever conceptualize that we were doing church. We've always seen the parking lots around here as a place to park, not as a place to worship. But next week they're going to be a place to worship. I'm getting stuff coming in almost every day now with the changes that we're going to have to implement when we reopen the church. And how we're going to adjust things. And the temptation is going to be for us to say, I want to go back and I want to do it the way we used to do it. Because we won't see how God can do stuff differently. I think one of the things that God is teaching His church right now in this pandemic with all that we're doing with social media and internet ministry and radio, etc., is God, I think, in part has been saying, my church got so comfortable inside the building, and now it's being forced outside of the building. Next Sunday, God willing, we will be able to reach people that maybe are on a basketball court that wonder what's going on in these parking lots around us who are in the neighborhoods around us that start hearing people singing and talking about Jesus. As we move forward into the future, again, we're going to have to offer different avenues and satellite ways of sharing the gospel because we may not initially be able to get everybody in this room in order to meet social distant requirements. But think about that, multiple venues where people are hearing about Jesus, that they may be more open to coming to and experiencing Jesus. Yeah, God's maybe saying to us, I'm changing it up a bit because this is not about your comfort zone. It is about the gospel getting out to people, and it is about people growing in the Lord. You see, the challenge that Israel faced with the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh is on the east side of the Jordan, they were already home. They were already comfortable. They had already said, this is our place. And Joshua goes to them and he says, I know you're comfortable. I know you're home. I know you're in the land that Moses gave you. But I need your men of valor to put their armor on and go join their brothers and cross over to the other side and help them get their home. Leave your comfort zone to go out here and help them get the land that God has for them. And God can take what we're going through right now and use it if we will discern His voice and His will. You see, there's something a lot bigger than a virus going on. And we just got to get in touch with how God can take this situation and use it to His glory. Now, that's the first challenge that He faced. The challenge of different. Notice the challenge of faith. Verse 11. The Lord your God, notice the verb tenses, present tense, is giving you the land to possess. Present tense, He is giving you to possess. Verse 13. Future tense, He will give you this land. Verse 14, past tense, the land that Moses gave you. 
So Joshua uses three tenses. God has given you the land. God will give you the land. And Moses gave you the land. Now why does Joshua use three tenses here? And this isn't the only time that you see past tense, Moses gave you the land. Present tense, he's giving you the land. And future tense, he will give you the land. Joshua, by faith, understood that the work of God is in three continuous phases. Moses gave you the land. But as you take one step after another and claim the promise and walk in the promise, he's going to be giving you the land. And then as you look at the land that's in your future, as you look at the miles that are ahead of you, he is going to be giving you that land. So God's work was in the past, in the present, and in the future. And what Joshua is saying here is as you walk in the promise of God, the challenge of faith is that God said He's going to give you the land. But the challenge of faith is if you're going to walk in that promise, then you can't just walk in it in the past. God's promises are made in the past, but we have to walk in them in the present, and we have to live for the fulfillment of them in the future. Now let's talk about our salvation, because our salvation is in three tenses. Number one, when Jesus went to the cross, He secured our salvation, and He secured heaven for us on the cross. We don't add anything to what Jesus did on the cross. He nailed it all down. He provided it all when He died on the cross and shed His blood to save us. So our salvation was secured on the cross. But He is delivering us from sin every day. He is delivering us from guilt and shame every day. So our salvation is past in the sense that He secured it on the cross. It is present in that He is delivering us every day. And it is future, and that is that when Jesus comes again and calls us to be with Him, we are going to be finally and completely in the experience of Him saving us. So it is a past salvation, it is a present salvation, and it is a future salvation. Now notice he talked about the land. Second to longing for the Lord is longing for the land. I mean, when you read through Deuteronomy and Exodus and Joshua, this concept, this idea of land keeps coming up over and over and over again. It's like they got obsessed with the land. All they talk about is God's going to give you the land and you're going to get the land and the land's going to be yours and God promised you the land. It's like every other verse. It's land, land, land. Why were these people so obsessed with land? Why does God keep bringing the land issue up? Several reasons. Number one, the land spoke of the promise of God and of God as a promise maker and a promise keeper. God says, I'm going to give you this land. And when they started walking on it, they had the land. And God is saying, see, I made a promise, and I don't break my promises. I keep my promises. I make my promises happen. Now, they had wandered around in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience. But just because of their disobedience, God's promise held. 
just because they wandered around for all those years didn't mean God said, my promise is running out of time. It's got a statute of limitations on it, and you just exhausted it, and so you don't get the land. God said, I made the promise. I'm going to keep my promise. I am a promise maker, and I am a promise keeper. And so the land was God's way of saying, I keep my promises. Second, the concept of the land, that land spoke of home. God said, the day's coming where you're not going to wonder anymore. All through the wilderness experience, decade after decade after decade, Israel was a nomadic people. They never were able to settle down. They look at the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Hittites and all the other ites that lived around them, and they all had a place, but Israel didn't have a place. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a place to make memories. They didn't have a place to go home to. They didn't have their land. And God says, I'm going to get you to the place where you're going to settle down. Instead of living in a tent, you're going to build a house. Instead of me building a tabernacle that you collapse and move around, you're going to be a, live, build a temple for me to dwell in. We're going to get you to the place. It's going to be your land, and you're going to live there. And you're going to make memories there, and it is going to be home, and you're going to have identity that is attached to the Lamb. And you will stop wondering. You will stop wondering. Now, what in the world has that got to do with us? Now, God says over and over when he refers to the Lamb, that's your inheritance. That's your inheritance. You're going to have a home. What's that got to do with us? Book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Begin the verse 17. Notice the language. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. Moving on to the next verse. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious, key word here, inheritance in the saints. So He prays that we will know what it is for the Spirit of God. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation. To have our eyes, our spiritual eyes enlightened. That we may know what is the hope to which He's called us. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ, would He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but in the one to come. Now, my gracious, I don't have time to preach this passage. I wish I did. But as Israel had a land to which they went in inheritance that God wanted to give them, even so, we have an inheritance that God is promising to us. Our land, 
that He has called us to and planted us in. Our inheritance is spelled out here. He says, I want you to have the eyes, verse 18, the eyes of your hearts enlightened so you'll see it. So that you can know the hope to which He has called you. We've got hope, our hope. Our theme verse for this year from Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The first part of our inheritance is to live in hope. That you can second know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So that we can know and experience what that inheritance is. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? Now, what kind of power is at work in our lives? It's according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. What He's saying here is, I want you to know and I want you to walk in the inheritance in the land of knowing and experiencing the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Now, why does he throw in this piece about that you'll know it because he's seated at his right hand in the heavenly places? Because the significance of him saying that it's at the right hand in the heavenly places is that the power that you've got The resurrection power that is at work in our lives is not just a power that raised Jesus from the dead. When it says that He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, why was Jesus seated at the right hand in the heavenly places? So He could intercede for us. So that He could take our prayers and take them to the Father. Do you realize that your prayer life is literally infused with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? That your prayer life, when you pray... Forget about how good it sounds when you pray. You're praying in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The power that I've got to say in stuff is puny little, no good power. The power of Jesus that placed Him at the right hand of the Father to pray for us, to intercede for us. You see, the next time you get discouraged in life... We want other people to pray for us, but do you realize that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you and taking your prayers to the Father? Verse, he says, it's far above all rule and authority. That means that his praying for you, his power in your life is above every rule and authority, every demonic power and dominion that there is. And it is above every name. That is named, not just in this age, but in the one to come. There is no power today or power that could ever come that is going to outdo, outscore the power of Jesus Christ. That is what Ephesians 1 is saying. That's the land, that's the inheritance that he's given us. But it doesn't stop there. 1 Peter, saw this last week, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice how they keep tying our hope to the resurrection. To Here comes that word again, to an inheritance that is what? It is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. And where is it? It is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, For a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Our inheritance is what I just talked about that we've got in this life. But our inheritance is also being kept for us in that land that he's going to give us called heaven. He says that heaven is a place that's imperishable. 
cannot be destroyed, isn't going to collapse. It is undefiled. It has not been affected and never will be affected by sin. Everything in this life is impacted by sin. Nothing in heaven is impacted and defiled by sin. And I love it says it's unfading. The inheritance of heaven is unfading. Won't fade away. Won't get rusty. Jesus will be as awesome a million years after you get to heaven as he was the day you walked in there. He will never lose any luster on his crown. All that heaven is, is unfading. Kept in heaven for you. That is our eternal land, our eternal inheritance. Finally, we see in this passage the challenge of spiritual leadership. Notice verse 18, excuse me, verse 17. The people look at Joshua and they say, Joshua, may the Lord be with you as he was with Moses. Joshua, we're not expecting you to do what Moses did. We recognize you got a different calling on your life. What we do want out of you, Moses, what we are requesting of you, Moses, is that the power and the glory and the love of God that we saw in Moses and around Moses be in you and around you. Our calling for those who serve in areas of spiritual leadership, whether it's as a deacon, as a Sunday school teacher, as a pastor, as a staff member, whatever, is never to imitate somebody else or try to be like somebody else. We can't do that. But our calling and the rightful expectation of the people is that as spiritual leaders, the glory of God, the power of God, the love of God is in us and operating around us, and we are walking in what God is doing and leading the people to where God is at work. Verse 18, they use the same phrase that Moses and God had used. Joshua Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Joshua, we want a leader. we got to have a leader who's going to be strong and who's going to be courageous. Now, how do you have strength and how do you have courage? Strength and courage come from two things. Number one, character. If you've got character, if you've got integrity, you will be strong and you will be courageous. A lack of integrity, a lack of character will eat away at strength and courage like termites will eat away at a building. You've got to have character. Second, you've got to have confidence in God. Joshua, if you've got confidence in God, then you will be strong and you will be courageous. Now, as Joshua looks at there as their leader, he realizes that his faith has got to be contagious. His faith has to become the faith of the people. When he says, I need you to pack three days of rations. When he says, 
I need you to gather the men of valor, put on your armor, and start marching across the Jordan to join your brothers over there. Can you imagine what Joshua was doing? He stands up and he says, okay, I need you to collect three days of rations and pack it up. And out of the corner of his eye, he's probably watching to see, is anybody doing anything? When he says, I need you to put your armor on, he's probably watching out the other eye to see, are they making any moves to get that armor on? When he says, meet me this afternoon, are you going to start marching across the Jordan? You can't help but wonder if Joshua was wondering, is anybody going to join me or I'm going to march across the Jordan by myself? Because in Joshua's mind, you can't help but wonder if Joshua wasn't thinking as he was telling him to do this. Are they going to look at me and say, well, Joshua, you're a nice guy, but you're not Moses. And we did this stuff for Moses. We don't know about we're going to do it for you. And Joshua, you're calling us to take on a battle Moses didn't call us to take on a battle. You've not even gotten started good yet. And you're telling us your first command to form an army and go march into a strange place? Are you out of your mind and do you think we're going to follow you? He realized his faith had to be contagious. Well, let me tell you what Joshua did here. Joshua believed the word of God that came to him. He then spoke the word of God to the people. And then the final thing he did was he acted on the word. He acted on the word. And how did the people respond? Joshua's faith was contagious. They said, we will follow you. They saw his faith. They heard his faith. They saw his faith in action. His faith was contagious. And they said, we will follow you. And for those of you that are in leadership and God calls you to be in spiritual leadership, you're going to have your days, you're going to wonder, is anybody going to listen? Is anybody going to follow? Believe the word, speak the word, act the word, and people will follow. That's what they're looking for. Is everybody going to follow? Probably not. But whoever does follow, you'll be able to do what God's called you to do. What are the challenges that you're facing? What are those goggles that God's putting on your eyes of challenge that you're facing? Learn to see God at work in the challenges. What is the comfort that God is calling you from? What is the agony and struggle in your life, perhaps, that you've carried for years, if not decades, that God's calling you to get over and move from? What is the distance in our lives from God that He's calling us from to get closer to Him? What is the challenge? Those challenges are God's goggles on your eyes. To see His mighty resurrected power face the challenges with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You this day that yes, You have given us challenges. And at times, God, those challenges seem overwhelming. But the challenges that You give us are the goggles through which we can learn to see 
your power, your love, your glory, your goodness. God, help us to see those challenges in your name.